So today we're taking a break from our normal New Testament study. We're going through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings, but today it's Christmas this week. So we have a special Christmas message. And we're looking at a chapter, a wonderful prophetic chapter, Isaiah chapter 9, prophetic meaning it's written 700 years before Christ was even born, and it prophesied of what Jesus was going to do as he entered this world. Now, this chapter has a famous verse in it. These verses have a famous verse in it. We always hear this verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Every Christmas we hear this verse. It says, for a child will be born to us, uh, verse 6, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and what? You've all heard that verse before. That's a Christmas verse. But the verses that precede this verse, verses 1 through 5, give us more gifts that Jesus brought into this world when he entered this world. And now, I don't know about you, but I like gifts. I love, I've always loved gifts. Christmas time, my mom, when I was growing up, my mom would start Christmas Day with stockings. Do you guys have that stockings on the chimney? And she would load up those stockings with chocolate and all kinds of different Dutch cookies and all kinds of like nice things besides the chocolate. So it was like gifts in those stockings. I like gifts. Don't look at me like that. You like gifts too. And so then we'd go, uh, some, many Christmases, we'd go from the stockings, then we'd, 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 we'd go 45 minutes away to my grandparents, Papa Mimi DeBoer's house in Wheaton, Illinois, from Oak Park, and we'd go there, and we'd do our first round of Christmas with the DeBoer's, and you know what we'd get at the DeBoer's? More gifts. And Grandpa Grandma DeBoer just loved to spoil us, too, and they just would load my sister up and, uh, with gifts. It's wonderful. And then we go from Wheaton and we go back to Oak Park to our house. And guess what? Grandpa and Grandma Hoppy for many years would be there. And you know what they would bring? More gifts. And they'd spoil us as grandkids. More gifts. And I just love gifts. And, 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 then, and then, then I got older and I had kids. And my mom, for years when we were out in California, my mom would send us round-trip airplane tickets for the whole Hoppy family to come home for Christmas back to Oak Park, Illinois, and, and, and guess what? We'd have not only gifts for my sister and I, but now my wife Heidi and me and our kids, and we'd get more gifts. And I'll never forget, oh, the gifts. The, for several years after we had kids, my dad knew I was broke, church planting broke, which is broke. And I remember my dad started a tradition for a number of those years. He'd give us an envelope, my sister and I both. And she adopted kids, so she had financial needs and stuff too. My dad would give us a gift. It was an envelope. We'd open up on Christmas. We'd open the gifts. And he'd open up that envelope and he'd go, oh, $1,000 check. I'm going, thank you, Dad. Just bought a whole bunch of more diapers. And it was a great gift. I mean, talk about gifts. When you're a poor church planner, 1000 bucks. Woo! Gifts. But you know the greatest gift I've ever received? The Bible says it's indescribable. It's Jesus. And 40-some years ago when I received Christ, I was not only given the gift of Jesus, but the greatest gift I was given along with Jesus was the gift of of eternal life. The Bible calls eternal life that's given us through Jesus is a gift. It says this in 1 John 5, 11 to 13, and the testimony is this, that God has given us gifts. He's given us what? 
There it is right there. Eternal life. In this life is in his son. And he who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you got Jesus, you got the most important gift you'll ever get. Not only Jesus, but his gift of eternal life. And don't ever, ever, ever diminish that or take that for granted that you've been given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ and believe in him. It's an amazing gift. Again, amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing gift. Amazing love. Amazing grace. But you know what? We're going to see today, we're going to see today, we're going to see six more gifts that Jesus brings to us by his entrance to the world. And we're going to see packed in these verses a number of gifts that just are wonderful gifts that we gift from being believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So church, you ready to study it? Yes. Amen? Yes. All right. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 1. And before we break this first verse down, let me give you background. The background is that Israel, at the time of this writing, was in the midst of Assyrian captivity. What does that mean? that Assyrians had moved into northern Israel and they were taking over God's people's uh, land. And they were bringing them into captivity and they were bringing them, they were actually taking them out of the land with hooks in their nose and it was awful. And then they left some of the Israelites in northern Israel and what they did is they repopulated northern Israel with cohabitating with, with Israelites and they became a mixed breed. It was called the Samaritans. And so this was a dark time for Israel. Their land was being taken over. They're going to the tyranny of Assyrian captivity and the immorality and the pagan stuff that was brought into their own God's people's land. So that's the background here with verse 1. Look what it says. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. This is a prophetic scripture, 700 years before the entrance of Christ. It's talking about the Messiah. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephitila. Uh, that's so much easier saying um, Columbia. With contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious. He'll make the land glorious. Notice, by the way of the sea and on the other side of Jordan, Galilee and the Gentiles. Now that's a prophetic scripture. And it's saying there's coming one, his name is Jesus, who's going to come into the gloom of Israel and he's going to bring his glory. And he's going to come by the way of the sea of Galilee. Where did Jesus do most of his ministry? By the Sea of Galilee. And what did Jesus' ministry bring to Galilee? First of all, glory. Glory! He brought glory. And the Word became flesh. And we beheld His what? Glory. Only have gotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. How did He bring His glory? He brought His glory by coming and touching. We saw this at men's breakfast yesterday touching a leper healing a leper from the terminal disease, incurable disease of leprosy, brought his glory. He brought his glory by going to demon-possessed Mary Magdalene and setting her free and releasing her from the seven demons that had burdened her soul and ripped up her life. He brought his glory by his teaching. Scripture says that people hung on every word that he taught because his words were from heaven. Glory. He brought his glory by his miracles, amazing miracles. 
walking on water, you know, feeding 5,000 people with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, saying to the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a hurricane storm, hush, be still. And his glory changed the whole sea to calm, dead calm. His glory. He beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first gift that Jesus brings to this world and his entrance into this world was his glory. And listen, and his glory that changed people's lives. Jesus still does that today, by the way. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we're people that behold his face, with unveiled face, as we're beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord. Notice, we're being transformed into the same image from what? Glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And here's how it works. You begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. He enters your life, and as you behold his face in prayer, in the word, in worship, being in his presence, here's what happens. His glory starts changing you from glory to glory into his image. That's a great gift, because you can't do it yourself. I don't care how many you know, New Year resolutions you got. I don't care how many self-help books you read. You can't change yourself apart from the glory of God changing you by beholding his face. But when you behold his face and you begin that relationship, as you abide in him, he'll abide in you, and he will produce much fruit. But apart from Jesus, you could do nothing. But as you behold his glory, it's not about New Year's resolutions. It's about the glory changing you. And it does. He works by his glory. Remember what happened to me? Came to Christ. I started studying his word. Started going to Bible studies. Started learning to be a worshiper. Started praying, having a quiet time. Within six months, my whole life started changing because of the glory that was touching my life through that relationship with Christ. I remember sitting down on my dining room table with my mom, having breakfast back in the days when I ate Cheerios. And I was eating some Cheerios with my mom six months after I came to Christ. She started shaking her head. And I'm going, Mom, what's the matter? So what are you shaking your head for? She goes, I, she goes, I, I just don't understand. I go, what don't you understand? She said, six months ago, just six or eight months ago, I remember staying up late at night, waiting for you to get back from your whatever you were doing, two or three o'clock in the morning, not being able to sleep because I didn't know what you were doing, and she didn't. I was involved in all kinds of partying and drunkenness and immorality, and she knew it. Moms know. Did you know that, by the way? Moms know. She knew it. My language was filthy and my life was filthy. And God grabbed me and rescued me. He saved me. And he changed me. My language had, had changed. My associations had changed. Places I went to changed. I was going to Bible studies instead of drunken parties. And my mom was like, I just don't understand. I go, what don't you understand? Mom, she goes, I'll never forget. She said this. It's over 40 years ago. She goes, I don't got to worry about you anymore. <laughs> and it was like that just brought peace to my heart, just warmed my soul. Because the way Christ had been changing me, my mom didn't live with this worry all the time of what's going to happen to Chip next. Because now I was being changed by the glory of God. That's what Jesus does. He changes us from glory to glory, and his image is the first gift. Second gift, go on, verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a, what? Great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light, notice the word light, the light will shine on them. 
Okay, so here's the second gift that Jesus brings, his light. John 8, 12 says this, uh, Jesus speaking, I am, statement of deity, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said in entering the world, he was bringing his light. Now, what does light mean? Well, let's go, first of all, what does darkness mean? Darkness in Scripture means evil. It means sin. It means lostness. And what Jesus brought into this lost, evil, sinful world was his light, opposite of light, which is truth and righteousness and salvation. He's the light of the world. He brought his light here, his righteousness, his truth, his salvation. And that's the second gift that Jesus brings, light. You don't have to grow up in darkness anymore. You don't have to be lost as a rock You don't have to wonder what this life's all about. You don't have to wonder, where did I come from? Why am I here and where are you going? No, the the light's been turned on. And you have the word to guide you in that light. Because Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light, notice, light unto my path. That's the second gift, light. And here's the deal. After you get the light, because Jesus has entered your life and he's entered this world with his light, we're supposed to be people that multiply that light. Because Jesus said, let your light shine in, other, in such a way that others may see your good works, and then they too become of the light and glorify your Father in the heaven. I remember the first Christmas after I got in the light, I got saved. I'll never forget, it was 40-some years ago again, but I went to a Young Life meeting, and my Young Life leader had gotten a hold of this story, and it captivated my soul, because it spoke to me about Jesus being the light of the world. And here's what the story is. Just, I can't give you the details on it, but I just remember some of the details. Was, it was a narrative story of that when Jesus came to this world, it was a story that kind of was an analogy of it. This light came to this world. This bright, magnificent light came to this world. Then the story went on. As Jesus walked through the area of the regions of Galilee, the light came into Galilee as it says here in Isaiah chapter 9. And then he went down to Jerusalem. The light was brought to the Temple Mount in the temple area where all of God's people were at for, for all the different feasts. He brought the light to God's people. And then the story went on, and, and it talked about at some period in the story, it said the light was extinguished. It was stopped. You know when that was? The cross. And it was buried for three days. Light was stopped. Then three days later, bam, the light broke forth the tomb. I just woke some of you up, didn't I? Good morning. Bam, the light came out of the tomb, and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The light, the first Easter, Easter morning, the light. And then the story went on and said after that Easter morning, and it came out of the tomb, after the light came out of the tomb, then what happened was the light multiplied. When did the light multiply? Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit given to the church. The church went from 12 apostles, 120 that praying in the upper room, to 3,120. The light, bam, bam, bam. And I got this picture in my mind as a new believer at first Christmas that, yeah, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to receive the light from Christ, then we're supposed to multiply that light. And then it said, then the story goes on and says, and then the light starts spreading through the whole Roman Empire. As the disciples were dispersed, it went to all different regions across the seas. The light, the light, the light, the light, the light. Christian, 
That's our job now. Be the light of the world because you have the light of the world in your heart. Amen? Second gift, light. The light of the world has come and he's given us his light. We'll have the light of life through Jesus Christ. Now go on. It says in verse three, you shall multiply the nations and you shall increase their gladness. This is the Messiah. He's gonna multiply the nation and you'll increase their gladness and they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Now, gladness. It's the third gift that Jesus gives. And there's a couple different illustrations there. First one's agrarian. What does that mean? They lived in an agrarian culture. The main business of the day, for the Jewish people especially, was crops. And they were farmers. And the prophet is saying here, when Jesus came, it was like a time of harvest. Why harvest? Because harvest was the most glad time of the year for agrarian people. Because what's coming in during the harvest? Food. Crops. Abundance, prosperity. What came to the world with Jesus? Harvest. The harvest of his kingdom. The abundance of Jesus Christ who said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The harvest. And the harvest that Jesus brings kingdom-wise should bring gladness is what it's saying. And then the second illustration after a harvest is the illustration of a warrior and when the warriors would go to war, they would come back after victory, they'd come back with gladness too because they had the spoils of war. And saying the second thing that Jesus Christ did when he came to this world was after not only, not only bringing in the kingdom, the harvest of the kingdom, he also brought in, hey, he brought in victory. He brought in the spoils of victory. And when did he do that? When he said, it is finished. The battle was over to save you from your sins on the cross. And that's the victory of the cross. And that should bring gladness too. That should bring joy. If you're forgiven of your sin and you're saved, the most important thing in your life has been taken care of. You have victory over sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the cross has brought that victory. And so that should bring gladness. That's the third thing that we have, the third gift we get from Jesus. After, after light and after, you know, or actually glory and light, the next thing that we have is gladness. And I got a pet peeve. You know, I don't have many pet peeves, but this is a pet peeve. You know what it is? Sour puss Christians. Ooh, woe is me. So hard to be a Christian in this world. How hard was it to be lost? Whoa! You know, that should be an oxymoron. Oxymoron. Two words that don't go together. Sourpuss Christian. Or here's another oxymoron. Mean sourpuss Christian. You know what? If you're mean or you're sourpuss as a Christian, you know what? The words go right. Oxymoron. You're being a moron. You are. Because mean and grumpy shouldn't go with Christian. Because in his presence, it's fullness of joy. We're told, rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I'm still figuring this out too. It's not hard. I mean, it's, it is hard. It's not easy. Excuse me. It's not easy when circumstances stink to rejoice in the Lord. But we're commanded. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord 
always, again I say rejoice. The, the Bible says, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord. That's our strength, amen? And again, in his presence, church, in his presence, it's fullness of joy. So let's get over this grumpy Christianity thing. Let's get back to being joyful Christians, amen? Let's be people that smile more. You know, you, you, just a smile could bring God's light into some people's lives. Let's, let's be Christians that laugh a little bit more. Let's be people that's Christians that have fun. Amen? <laughs> when I came to Christ, I tell you, these Christians that were witnessing to me, they drove me nuts. Partly because I knew what they were telling me was true, and it was convicting me, and it was, oh, they're like swords, you know, sword of the Spirit. They were, they were, they were shooting at me with these swords, convicting me. But also the thing that drove me crazy, or struggled with, was not only were they telling me truth, they had the joy that I didn't have. The joy of the Lord was in their lives. And when I was honest in, in interacting with them, I, I realized they got joy that I don't have. And they had to know how to have fun, too. Oh, it drove me crazy. I'm going, they're not only telling me their truth, they're showing me they can have fun in this Christianity thing. And they did. And it was a witness to me, and it's part of what led me to Christ, was these joyful Christians that also knew how to have fun. We need to do the same thing. Charles Swindoll, if you want to read a book about that, wrote a book, great book. It's called Laugh Again. And the exhortation in his book is, Christians, we need to start laughing again. We need to start smiling more. We need to start having more fun in Christ. Amen? Because he brings gladness in his presence again. Jesus put it this way. I've spoken these things unto you. John 15, 11. I've spoken these things unto you that my joy may be in you and your joy be, may be made full. That's Christ's desire for us, is that we're joyful Christians. And as we get in the word of God, his joy is in us and his joy is made full because we know Christ. Because that's, that's the third gift that Jesus brings, is gladness in our lives. Let's go on now. After gladness, it says this. Verse 4, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of Tomah and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Here's the next thing. He's talking about war again. And he's saying there's a war going on. And there's a war for every single human being's soul. And there's two leaders, Satan and Christ. Satan, Jesus said, wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He wants to put you in the captivity of sin. He wants to make you a slave to his demons and to sin, and to the lust of the world and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. He wants to imprison you to those things, and he will if you let him and you go his way. But again, Jesus said, I've come that he might have life and life more abundantly. And what Jesus does when you come to him and allow him to do this in your life is he sets you free. Free. You shall know the truth. And what? The truth sets you free. John eight thirty six says, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And I like the imagery here again is he breaks the yoke. He breaks the yoke of slavery and being mastered by the lust of this world and the devil and the, the, the pride of life and all the garbage that's out there. He breaks that yoke and sets you free. And then the rod of the oppressor, the one that's oppressing you, is boom, gone. 
and you're free. You're free. Freedom! We got freedom. I know, he just went back to Braveheart. I'm not talking about Braveheart, I'm talking about Jesus. But I like that scene in Braveheart when he says, Freedom! Because that's what Jesus does for us, amen? In the battle that he's won, he's stopped the rod of the oppressor. He's taken the yoke of slavery, of sin, off of our backs. And we're free. We have freedom. Free in Christ. It's so important we understand that. And it's important that we not only understand that, it's important we don't go back to slavery. Because we can't. If you don't guard your life from this lust of the flesh and the lust of the world and the boastful pride of life. You don't guard your life from the devil and the world and his means and minions. What can happen is that stuff can get a grip on you again. And that's why Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 talks about this. Uh, put it up on the screen here. Galatians 5 1 says it was for freedom. There, see the word there? Freedom. That Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of what? Slavery. Maintain that freedom. How do you do that? By not exposing your life and going in the way of sin anymore. By making choices that says, no, you're going to still struggle. You're going to still have things like that. But you said, I am not going to be a slave to that anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm done with the slavery. I'm free. Because if the sun sets you free, you can be free indeed. I got a call yesterday morning, and I, I just, I, I didn't even know they could do this anymore. It's collect. You know, you can still get collect calls. I didn't know with cell phones you can get collect calls. I thought that we were done with that. And you know me, I'm a Dutch guy. And collect, I'm going, okay, what telemarketer's calling me collect? I was just about to hang up the phone. Collect, are you serious? Come on, it's right after men's breakfast, I'm in the cafe, uh, ringing, the phone's ringing, Collect. About to hang up on the telemarker, but then at the end of the collect call, and it says, this is the person who's trying to get a hold of you with a collect call. Oh! It's a good friend of mine who for years, after going through our U-Turn for Christ program, lived in freedom. Gosh, God changed his life and set him free and broke that yoke of oppression and took off the slavery of addiction and drugs and everything else. And the devil came back and got a hold of him again. And the last year or two, he's, he's been a slave again. I took the call. And he said... I'm done. I want to come back to U-turn. And I want to be free again. And I just about started crying. My eyes were sweating. And I'm going, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you will be free again. I said, we got to get this stronghold broken again. we got to get you back in the Word again. we got to get us to serve in Christ again. And my friend, you will be free again. Because if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. And you know what the amazing thing is? I hadn't talked to him in months. Maybe, maybe it was almost a year before I even heard from him the last time. And Friday night, Heidi and I, up in our reading room where we have nighttime devotions before we go to bed, that night, 
Friday night before yesterday morning, Saturday morning, we prayed specifically for him. We prayed that God would move in a situation and God would set him free. And guess who he calls collect the very next morning? Prayer changes things. Amen? So if you know somebody that needs to be set free, someone that you love, for goodness sake, pray for them. Pray that God would break that yoke of oppression in their life, and God can and God will oftentimes. Amen? It's a gift. Our freedom is a gift. Freedom! Let's live in that. Now, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, famous verse, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. You want me to start singing it? There's a, some of you go, no, you don't do that to us, John. Uh, there's actually a, a, a hallelujah chorus we were listening to last night. I was, we were listening to doing dinner last night, and it sings these words. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Now, go back to the top of that verse. The first thing that verse tells us, it's a, it's a statement of humanity and divinity. A child talking about a baby will be born to us. That's Jesus' humanity of being born in Bethlehem in the manger. A child will be born to us. But we see the preexistence here also of his divinity, and a son will be given to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus, only human being that's ever lived, didn't have a starting point in that Bethlehem manger. He lived way before that, eternity past. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was, was God. He preexisted with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He created all things. So a son was given to us. And notice what it says there. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. What is that saying? He'll be a leader. And he'll lead this world. And how will he lead us as we allow him to lead our lives? He'll be a wonderful counselor. In him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You need counsel? The best person to go to counsel for is your Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you ask of him, he'll give you wisdom generously and without reproach, Scripture says. Ask and you shall receive. And when you need counsel, when you need his leadership, you go into his presence and you say, God, what must I do? And as you trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Because he, notice, he is a wonderful, the word wonderful could be translated a supernatural, a divine counselor. He's not only a wonderful counselor, but he's also, notice, as he leads your life, he'll go from being a wonderful counselor to what? Look at that. It's a clear statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody ever tell you the scriptures don't say Jesus is God. This is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, and what will he be for you as, you, as he leads your life? He'll be mighty God. Statement of deity. I like that. Omnipotence. And when you have Jesus governing your life, you have access to mighty God. And if God be for us, who could be against us? And we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. As he leads our lives, his power comes to our life. Because if we abide in him, he'll abide in us, and he will produce much fruit. But apart from him, you could do nothing. But we could do all things through Christ who gives us strength because he's mighty God. And after mighty God, interesting, it says he's going to also, as you let him lead your life, he'll be eternal father. Careful with that. 
It's not saying he's the heavenly father, he's the son. But what do fathers do? Fathers take care of their kids. Fathers love their kids. Fathers support their kids. Fathers provide for their kids. And Jesus will do all those things for you as, you as his government rests upon your shoulders. He will provide for you. He'll love you. He'll be defending you. He'll be on your side. And you, again, you, you, you can know that all your needs will be met according to the riches of Christ Jesus because Philippians 4, 19 tells us that. He'll be an eternal father to you who will love and support and provide for you because that's what good dads do. And Jesus has that heart towards every single one of his followers. He's going to take care of you. Eternal Father. And then the last thing, look at this. As you let him lead your life, he'll be a prince of peace. Peace. I like peace too. It means serenity of soul. And what it's saying there is, first of all, if you let Jesus lead your life, you'll have peace with God. And you know what? Your state in the natural human sinful self is enmity with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And your natural state is not being at peace with God. But you invite Jesus into your life and let him lead your life. Here's what happens. is His peace invades that relationship with God. And now, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, our creator. But also peace with yourself. You know what? You're your worst own enemy many times, apart from Christ. Amen? I remember, apart from Christ, man, I just, man, I was a train wreck. But now Christ gives us not only peace with God, but peace with ourselves. Because the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace gives you his peace, not only with God, but with yourselves. And also, the Prince of Peace gives you peace, peace with others, because he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peace. Peace. Jesus gives you peace. Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others. He is the Prince, the Prince of Peace. Wonderful. Last thing, close it up now. He not only gives you leadership, that's the fifth thing, by the way, leadership. Leadership in these four areas of his names. But the last things he gives you, notice, we'll look at this verse here in a second. He gives you eternal leadership. Look at the verse. It says, there will be no end, notice the word, no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness. Then on and notice, what? Forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, we've already talked about leadership, fifth gift that Jesus gives us, but the sixth gift Jesus gives us is eternal leadership. Here's what's going to happen. Revelation 19 tells us Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven, and he's going to establish his leadership, his government. It's not going to be a democracy. I'm sorry, Americans. It's not a democracy. It's going to be a theocracy. 
What does that mean? The king of kings is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Lord of lords. He's going to establish his rule upon the earth. He's going to reign with an iron scepter, and he's going to bring this world back to its original Garden of Eden state. Isaiah 11 says that as he leads during this thousand-year period, his kingdom is going to be established here on earth to the point that even creatures and animals are going to be at peace with one another and with us. Isaiah 11, 6 through 11 actually says little kids are going to be playing with vipers, poisonous vipers, because all of creation is going to be restored to peace. And then here's a cool thing. As he brings his kingdom and his government to this world too, the world is going to be covered with the knowledge of Christ. It says at the end of Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 11 there, right around uh, uh, the end of that section on millennial period, it says that the, the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters covers the seas. It's going to be amazing. You think the, there's some cool, beautiful parts of the world today, and there is. Can you imagine this world brought to, back to the place where the king of kings and his government and his peace and his leadership will reign upon this world? Isn't that what we're supposed to pray for, by the way? We're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. And that's coming, church. It's coming. You know, the New Testament Christians would often end their letters to one another with the one word, Maranatha. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in the last chapter there of the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul ends that letter by saying, Maranatha. If anyone does not love the Lord, he says he's a curse, but Maranatha. You know what Maranatha means? Lord Come quickly. Woo! I tell you what, as we say here in the South, let's get her done. Let's get her done. Let Lord come quickly. And that's my heart too. Lord, come quickly. And the, the promise that we have, the gift, the last gift that we have according to the scripture is eternal leadership with Jesus. And we're going to be part of that gang. We're going to be part of his leadership. We're going to reign with him on this earth in his theocracy. And we get to start it with the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you. I, don't like, I not only like gifts, but I like good food. Can you imagine the food that Jesus is going to bring to that marriage supper of the Lamb? Woo! And then he's going to begin after the marriage supper of the Lamb. Probably we're going to have communion with Jesus And then we're going to begin a thousand-year reign with Christ, with his eternal leadership in place, and us leading the world with him, and that's going to be incredible. So what are the six gifts that we've seen from Isaiah chapter 9 this morning? Number one, Jesus, in his entrance to this world, brings what? Glory. And that glory does what to us? It changes us from glory to glory in his image. And as we allow him to enter our lives, he'll change us from glory to glory to be more like Christ. It's one of the great gifts that we have is his glory that changes us. Number two, the second gift he brings is light. And we have the light of life. And now, as he gives us that gift of life, we multiply that light light in the world because we are the light of the world. He's passed the torch to us to be the light of this world. Number three, after light, it says What's the third thing? Third gift. Gladness in his presence. His fullness of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. The the Lord's joy, the joy there is the strength of our lives. Joy, gladness. 
Man, let's have some fun over Christmas, huh? Amen? Let's have some laughter in our homes. Let's have some joy. Let's be glad Christians because we got Jesus bringing his joy into our lives. Number four, this is, this is a great one. He also, after joy, he brings freedom. That's all you're going to remember from this message, right? <laughs> Pastor John up there, freedom. I want you to realize that, though. I want you to take that home. You have the gift of freedom. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. Don't go back to slavery, live in that freedom. Guard your life from anything that can imprison you again. Stay away from it. Flee from those things that imprison you and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Freedom! Number five, gift. Leadership. And as you let him lead your life, he could be a wonderful counselor, he could be mighty God. He'll be everlasting Father. He'll be the Prince of Peace. He'll bring peace in your life. As you let him lead, as you get your hands off the steering wheel and let him steer, he'll direct your life. It'll be those things for you. And then the last gift is eternal leadership. Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. It's coming a day that his glory is coming back in person to this world and he's going to lead this world with a government of a theocracy and he's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords and we get to be a part of that and that's a gift we have to look forward to his eternal leadership amen church boy are we blessed and one of the things i love about reading scripture like this and studying it it reminds us of the spiritual riches that we have in christ and what should be our response to these spiritual gifts that Jesus gives us is we want to live for him more and more because he's done this for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for all these gifts that you've given us, Lord. You are such a good, good God. And Jesus, we thank you that you made a way of, of bringing these gifts to us because you entered this world. And thank you most of all this morning, God, that Jesus, you came and you brought the gift of eternal life. Through just simply believing in you, God, we are, we are given the gift, the most precious gift we'll ever receive of eternal life forever and ever with you, God. Father, thank you so much for your glory, too. And Father, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to this world to bring your glory down to this world. And that glory is what changes us from glory to glory into your image. Father, help us to continue to be people that are beholding the face of Jesus and we're growing in that relationship with Christ so Jesus, you could by your glory be changing us and changing us into your image more and more, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, God. Father, thank you too for your light. And Jesus, thank you for being the light of the world. And then as we believe in you and follow you, Jesus, you bring that light into our lives. Not only light, but joy. In your presence, Jesus, is fullness of joy. And I pray for our Christmases, everybody in this room, I pray, God, that your glory and your light and your joy might be in our homes, God. I pray for family get-togethers. I pray that we would light up those family get-togethers with your, your love and your truth and your joy and your gladness, Lord. May there be laughter in our homes because we know Jesus and we have his gladness in our lives. Father, I pray, too, for uh, this area of freedom. 
God, you set us free. You've broken the yoke. You've gotten the oppressor off our backs. And now, Father, I pray we would guard our lives from anything that could bring us back into oppression. I pray for people that might be here this morning that need to start making some decisions of saying, nope, I'm going to flee from that. I'm not going back to that. I'm going to live free. And if there's repentance that needs to happen, may there be repentance this morning because times of refreshing come from repentance, turning from things that are trying to imprison us again. Lord, help us to have the wisdom. Help us to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and stay away from those things that can imprison us, Lord. Guard us from that, Lord, and give us wisdom in those areas. And God, most importantly, I pray for your leadership in our lives, your governing our lives. Help us to be people that are allowing Jesus to be the leader in our lives. Help us to be people that are going to Jesus to be our counselor, our wonderful counselor. Help us to be people that are looking to Jesus to be mighty God in our lives and the power of mighty God, Jesus, in our lives. Help us to be people, God, that are looking to Jesus to provide and support and protect and be there for us. Help us to be people, too, that are looking to the governance of Jesus to be our source for peace. There's no other source for peace, ultimately, but Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And I pray for people here this morning, God, that are struggling and need more of your peace, God. Just flood their lives this Christmas Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, with a new sense of your provision, your love, your grace, your peace. I pray that you would just give them peace in the midst of the storm. May you be the Prince of Peace as they look to you for peace. Thank you so much, God, for your word. It's, it's rich. There's so much just in these verses we looked at this morning. And I thank you for all these gifts you've given us through Jesus. I pray for our Christmases again that we might just be celebrating, God, the glory of Jesus and his entrance to this world. I pray for our candlelight Christmas Eve service. May it be a, just a blast, a celebration of the gift of Jesus Christ to this world as we look at the narrative in the Gospel of Matthew and see some of the name, more names of Jesus in that narrative. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for all your gifts. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.